Hi, and welcome again to Chapel Hill. My name's Michael, I'm the pastor here. And if you missed announcements, uh, we are pairing today's sermon uh, with lunch at the Sackville. And if you're new, lunch is on us. It's our way of saying welcome. And uh, so we're in our summer series called Meals with Jesus. And what we see in the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus came to earth eating and drinking. And through his eating and drinking with many people, he shows us his great welcome and love for us. And in today's passage, we read about Luke's account of Jesus providing and hosting a massive banquet in the country. And this account has three major scenes. First, the story starts with this huge catering problem. Second, we see the disciples' inability to provide the food that is needed. And in the third scene, we see Jesus' ability to provide the food, which we will see points to Jesus' ability to satisfy us with food that will never perish. So let's start with scene one, the catering problem. We read verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what had what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. If we read at the start of chapter 9, we read that Jesus commissions these 12 disciples to go on mission, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ for salvation to many places, to send them out into the world to proclaim this good news. And he tells his disciples to not take anything and to simply trust that Jesus will provide everything they need to accomplish their mission. And so the 12 disciples become the 12 apostles. Apostles means sent ones. They're sent by Jesus to take the good news to the ends of the earth. And so without taking anything with them, they went from village to village proclaiming the good news wherever they went. And we read in this passage that 12 apostles come back and they give a report to Jesus on what they had done. And I could imagine that conversation that they would have lots to tell to Jesus. Amazing stories of people receiving them and receiving the good news, but also many stories of rejection, stories of spiritual challenges. I mean, the disciples, you can imagine, they would have some intense experiences. And so it's natural for them to go out and seek some rest, to take some time off. And so Jesus takes the twelve to the countryside to Bethsaida for a retreat. No one else is really invited. This is a bit of uh, Jesus spending quality time with his own disciples to have some time out. And so you can imagine the plan was just to get some solitude and some good, hard-earned rest. But we read the crowd heard about this retreat. News broke out, and so this crowd followed Jesus to Bethsaida. And rather than Jesus getting annoyed at the crowd for stalking him, we read that he welcomed them. He welcomed the crowd and he also ministered to them, teaching the crowd about his kingdom and he healed the sick amongst them. And as the day winds down, getting closer to dinner, 
the disciples see a massive problem approaching. The crowd is now massive. We read that there were 5,000 men and there is just not enough food to feed the crowd. And so the, the disciples tell Jesus to wind things down. They're like, sorry Jesus, I'm going to have to put the countdown timer on you. You're going to have to wrap up this sermon. Uh, we don't have enough time. You're going to have to tell the crowd to leave the conference. Say it politely. They're going to have to find their own dinner. It's not part of the package, this conference. They're going to have to fend for themselves. They're going to have to find their own accommodation. Otherwise, we are going to have a massive catering problem. But Jesus sees this problem as an opportunity to teach the disciples something important. He says to his disciples, verse 13, you give them something to eat. And you can imagine the disciples would be like, what? Are you kidding me? Jesus sends them out on mission and tells them to not take any bread, not take any money, not even take a bag. Now Jesus tells them to somehow rustle up food, not just for themselves, but for a crowd. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fishes, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. The disciples didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough money. There was no way, no way that they could provide the food to feed this crowd. So why does Jesus tell his disciples to do the impossible? Well, Jesus tells his disciples to provide the food to bring out their responsibility and their inability. A follower of Jesus is someone who is called to be a minister of Jesus, to serve and meet the needs of people in Jesus' name. But it's Jesus who can meet people's needs, not the disciples. The disciples are unable to feed the crowd on their own strength, on their own resources, but they can if they just ask Jesus to feed the crowd. We can be very much like disciples, busy trying to serve others, busy trying to figure out the impossible tasks without praying, without asking Jesus to provide for our ministry. We can be very much like the disciples and look at our limited resources and look at it and not have faith that Jesus who can not only complete an impossible task, but he can overcomplete it. Jesus not only provided enough food for the crowd, read, read that Jesus provided in a way that there were still leftovers. That leftovers is a sign that Jesus is more than able to provide more than we need, and he's more than happy to do it. When it comes right down to it, the disciples can't provide for the people. They have the power of Jesus, but it's Jesus' power. They share in the ministry of Jesus, but it's Jesus' ministry. And it's easy for us to play being Messiah. We want to help, and it's right that we do show love, compassion, and service. But we really need to be careful to think that somehow we can solve people's problems for them. And it's not good for, people, for the people we help to become reliant and dependent on us. Because reliance on us might feed our egos, but it doesn't bring lasting change. Jesus is the saviour, not us. Our role in our ministry is to point people to Jesus. 
we have a responsibility to welcome people to his eternal banquet and kingdom, but we can't bring them in. What we offer is Jesus, but he's the provider, he's the host, not us. Which is exactly what we see next. Jesus does have the ability to provide the food for the crowd. We read on verse 14, but he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fishes, looking up in heaven, he gave thanks, broke them, then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 20 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. In these verses, we see that Jesus has the ability to provide for our physical needs and spiritual needs. Jesus can provide for our physical needs and spiritual needs. I mean, it's clear that Jesus was able to provide and meet the physical needs of the crowd. Jesus took the loaves and fish, prayed, gave thanks to God, and miraculously, the five loaves and the two fish multiplied and everyone that day had a meal and were satisfied. The thing is, Jesus really could have performed a miracle without prayer and thanksgiving, because he's God. So I think he did it to symbolize something significant. Jesus' act of receiving food with thanksgiving affirms that we are, number one, dependent on God, and number two, that material things are good gifts. Jesus saying grace affirms that we are creatures dependent on God, but we're also creatures that receive good gifts from God. We're not only dependent, but God actually provides for our needs. And so let's apply this in terms of just perhaps food as an illustration. When we take time to practice the habit of saying grace at mealtimes, giving thanks to God for providing each of our meals, we affirm that we are dependent on the farmers who grew the food, we're dependent on agriculture, we're dependent on businesses who take the food from the farm to the shops to us, we're dependent on commerce, we're also dependent on culture to experience food from all over the world. All good things that God provides for us. And so that simple act of saying grace at every mealtime acknowledges and forces us to see that our lives are lived in dependent communities, communities that God has provided for us, rather than just see our lives in only individualistic or selfish terms. And when we give thanks for food, we also affirm that food is a good gift to be enjoyed. Food is not just fuel to merely sustain us for ministry. When we give thanks, we affirm that food is a gift a key ingredient to our experience of God's goodness. So think of your favorite food. Maybe for you it's a juicy steak, uh, ramen noodles, superfood salad bowl, maybe that's your favorite meal, gelato or a brownie. God created all those things. God could have just created fuel. He could have just created in this world just protein bars maybe grown off a tree, he could have just done that. But no, he gave us a vast and wonderful array of foods. 
And we read at the beginning of creation at Genesis, the first thing that God does for humanity is actually present us with a menu. Genesis 2 says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. A garden, not an outdoor gym, not a factory, not a, I don't know, a workplace. He planted a garden in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grown out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. That is the point. The world is more delicious than it needs to be, isn't it? God went over the top. Why? Because God creates and works with exuberance and creative joy. Yes, food and our attitudes towards food can be tainted by sin. Like any other good thing in creation, in our sin, we can create food that is unhealthy, overly processed, food that can be detrimental to our health. We can also idolize food, worship it, and fall into gluttony. But good food is still good food and good gifts from God because he created them as gifts. Good food is to be enjoyed. Good meals are moments to stop and find refreshment and joy in God. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this wonderful quote. To be honest, I'm becoming more and more a fan of Bonhoeffer because he comes out with these amazing quotes. He says, in the midst of the working day, given to us again and again, it's a reminder that God rested after God's work and that the Sabbath is the meaning and the goal of the week with its toil. Our life is not only a great deal of trouble and hard work, it's also refreshment and joy in God's goodness. God will not tolerate the unfestive, joyless manner in which we eat our bread with sighs of groaning, with pontious, self-important busyness, and even with shame. That is such a sharp and timely quote for us who live in such a competitive environment, such a performance-driven culture, such an achievement-orientated city, to say that God will not tolerate unfestive, joyless manner in which we eat our bread with sighs of groaning, with pompous, self-important busyness, or even with shame. Because he says, though through the daily meal, God is calling us to rejoice, to celebrate in the midst of our working day. In other words, eating with a heart of thanksgiving is another way we can worship God. And all of the foodies here today are saying, Amen. Amy with her chocolate cake can come back to me and say, I am praising God. And I'm saying Amen with every bite of chocolate cake. But this, this doesn't just apply to food. See, when we take the time to regularly stop and just rest and just enjoy all the good things that God gives us, just like taking that small moment to say grace at mealtimes, we actually stop and worship God with a heart of thanksgiving. Do you feel guilty and shameful when you're on holidays? 
Do you feel guilty or shameful for sleeping in on the weekends? Do you feel guilty and shameful for treating yourself with a square of chocolate? Many of you, I know, have your New Year's resolution to be more devoted to God, to be closer to Him, to worship Him with greater joy. I want to suggest that maybe, just maybe, to reach that goal, perhaps you don't need to do more things for God. Maybe, just maybe, it's actually going on a holiday and not feeling guilty, but being thankful for the time that we can enjoy the world because the world is not for us to just steward its resources, but the world is for us to enjoy in its pleasures. Maybe it's sleeping in and not feeling guilty or shameful for not getting to the gym or to tick off your morning tasks, but feel thankful that you can sleep in peace for living in a country where our lives are not in constant danger. And maybe it's having a little bit of chocolate and praising God for taste buds and the deliciousness of chocolate. See, Jesus provides for our physical needs, not in protein bars, but with a variety. He provides in abundance, and he provides in ways that we can celebrate and rejoice in God's goodness. But Jesus also not only provides for our physical needs, he also provides for our spiritual needs. And there is a parallel in the way that Jesus gave thanks for food in this passage to the way he gave thanks at his Last Supper. In this passage, we read that he took the five loaves and two fishes, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them, and then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. When Luke describes the Last Supper, he describes it in a very similar way. He says, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Taking, thanking, breaking, giving, these actions are used in the same order. And see, Luke is making a connection. He's making the connection that the feeding of the 5,000 people was not the full deal. It's not the greatest miracle. It was just a glimpse of a greater banquet. The prophet Isaiah speaks more about this banquet. He tells and prophesies what this banquet would look like. He says, On the mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On the mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. In Isaiah 25, sin and death is on the menu, and God himself swallows it up, which means that God's banquet will be a perpetual feast. It is at the cross that Jesus provides for our spiritual needs. It is at the cross that Jesus swallows up our sin and swallows up our death. It is at the cross that Jesus pays for the price for us to eat at God's eternal banquet. And we read at the end that there are 12 baskets of leftovers. 
And it's a sign that there is plenty more to go around. There's plenty more space for people to join in on God's all-satisfying eternal banquet. Our world is a world of hunger, pain, and suffering, and want. And in our city where most people have enough to eat, we still live in want, don't we? We're still unsatisfied. And we may not long for bread, but we long for meaning, intimacy, fulfillment, community, purpose, joy. And this passage is saying Jesus is able to provide for you all these things and much more. And so if you're searching for all these things, then go and freely ask Jesus. He and he alone can provide with you, for you, the satisfaction that your soul hungers for. Believe in him, believe in his death and resurrection, and you will never be spiritually hunger, hungry and thirsty ever again. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you provide for us physically and spiritually through Jesus. Help us to give thanks in all that we do, not just in our praying, gathering, discipling, but also in our eating, in our cleaning, in our working, in our resting, and in our sleeping. Help us to not just feed on bread alone, help us to feed on the bread of life. Help us to feed on Jesus in our hearts by faith, so that we might live in the fullness of your joy, peace, love, meaning, and purpose that will last forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are we going to stand?